morning, everyone. Uh, we're in 2 Corinthians 10 uh, this morning, so if you'd like to turn to that. 2 Corinthians 10. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. I beg of you that when I'm present, I may, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I can't on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. Well, the issue that Paul deals with in this passage uh, is the issue of authority. Uh, I went to school in Northern Ireland in the 1980s. Uh, Our school wasn't too bad. It's produced two more college lecturers. Uh, Paul Williamson was a a, a few years ahead of me. Um, Teachers in Ireland in the 1980s uh, expressed authority perhaps in different ways than teachers express authority today. Uh, So we had a maths teacher, uh, Ken Armstrong, and uh, you did not mess around in Ken Armstrong's classes. If you did, you'd be asked to come to his office where you would choose which cane he would beat you with. And just to add a little bit of mystique to his authority, he named his canes after Roman emperors. (laughs) So you would have to choose which emperor uh, uh, would beat you. I'll have Caligula, sir. Um, Not that I ever received the cane, and it wouldn't be right for me to make Paul Williamson's discipline record public. Um, (laughs) On uh, on the other end of the spectrum uh, was another maths teacher, uh, Mr. Boland. Uh, He was very mild-mannered and gentle, and kids took advantage of it. Uh, He had very little authority, and his classes were chaos. Uh, Not much learning, but lots of paper planes uh, flying everywhere. Uh, Kids would even change the combination on his briefcase over lunchtime so that when he came back, he was unable to open it. Uh, Not not that I ever did that, and again, it wouldn't be right if I revealed how many times uh, Paul uh, did that. Uh, The issue Paul, the apostle, is dealing with in our passage this morning is authority, Uh, specifically his authority as an apostle which the Corinthians were questioning. Uh, They drifted away from Paul to follow after a group which Paul labels the super apostles. Uh, These were uh, men who appeared so much more impressive than Paul in their speaking, in their experiences, in their dealings with the Corinthians. However, as we see in chapter 11, far from being super apostles, they were actually false apostles who preached a different Jesus and a different gospel. And so in calling the Corinthians back to himself, it's not just about Paul being on a personal agenda and wanting followers. No, he wants the Corinthians to line up with him because lining up with him means that they'll be lining up with the gospel. It's the gospel itself at stake. And throughout the letter, Paul explains his actions 
and shows that they are in line with the gospel, that his version of ministry, not the super apostles' version, but his version of ministry is authentic. But Paul doesn't just defend himself. Uh, He also expresses his love and longing for the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is probably one of the most uh, intensely um, heartfelt letters of Paul. So just listen to some of the things he says, different points. Uh, Make room for us in your hearts. Or I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. Or I take great pride in you. Well, in this passage, as I say, he's dealing with the question of authority. The super apostles have been in the ear of the Corinthians and they've been suggesting that Paul is a fake. Verse 1, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I'm away. That's probably what the super apostles were saying, that Paul sort of hid behind his letters, but he was really a bit of a coward. He was the first century equivalent of a keyboard warrior. Or verse 7, if anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. The Lord has given us authority, verse 8. The issue is what kind of authority does Paul have? But it's not simply a question of is Paul tough or not. Uh, No, verse 1, he can entreat by the gentleness of Christ. Uh, But also, verse 4, he can destroy strongholds. Paul is gentle but he's not a pushover. So this is an important passage for us in thinking about authority in Christian ministry. Uh, When is it right to be gentle? And when is it right to engage in warfare? Uh, I know someone who in the last year left a church because he felt the ministry team were too soft. I also know someone who in the last year left a church because he felt the ministry team were too harsh. So it's a live issue. How do we think of authority in Christian leadership, Christian ministry. When is it right to be gentle? When is it right to be strong or firm? Well, Paul doesn't give us 10 points uh, for working it out in this passage, but he does give us something of a framework for thinking about authority. And uh, he shows us that there is a place for gentleness and leniency, but there's also a place for warfare. And I think this uh, passage gives us three things that we have to be clear about when we think about authority in ministry, Christ, conflict, and construction. Uh, So first, Christ. Uh, Christ is obviously the source of Paul's uh, authority. We've seen it in uh, verse 8. It's the authority which the Lord gave me. His authority is from Christ. But Paul doesn't simply demand submission because he's an apostle of Christ. He doesn't just say, I, I am an apostle of Christ, you need to submit to me. He, he models his authority. He shapes his authority on the authority of Christ, the character of Christ. So verse 1, I appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Paul's basic stance towards this wayward, frustrating church is one of meekness and gentleness. And it's a meekness and gentleness that is modeled on the Lord Jesus himself. So think of Matthew 11:29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. As far as I can tell, this is the only place in the Gospels where Jesus actually describes his character. Learn from my character because I am, you know, we might expect holy or without sin or pure or righteous or loving. Jesus is all those things. 
But the one thing he says about himself is, learn from me, I am gentle and lowly. Uh, gentleness or, or meekness is one of those virtues that it's very easy to overlook. But it's a basic element of Christian discipleship. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? To be someone who has learned from him, well, it looks like gentleness and meekness. It's a quality that every Christian is to display. It's, it's the fruit of the Spirit in uh, Galatians 5. It's the essence of what it means to be a Christian in Ephesians 4 when Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you're being called with all humility and gentleness. Titus is to remind uh, them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. This is not kind of quaint politeness or old-fashioned etiquette. It's basic Christian discipleship, gentleness, and courtesy. Galatians 6, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. It's especially important that those in Christian leadership are gentle. 1 Timothy 6.11, as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Pursue gentleness. And obviously in Christian leadership, it affects how we relate to the people that we are serving. So earlier in uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul uh, reminds the Corinthians, we don't lord it over your faith. We work with you for your joy. 1 Timothy 3, verse 3, an overseer is not violent, but gentle. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 2, Peter tells uh, pastors to shepherd the flock, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples, not domineering. Paul does not command the Corinthians to submit to him because he's an apostle. No, he appeals to them this exasperating, disobedient church by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And it's not just those uh, we serve, even our opponents. 2 Timothy 2.25, the Lord's servant is to correct his opponents with gentleness. Uh, In our period of history where disagreement and debate uh, usually descend into vitriol, I think this is an area for Christians to be genuinely counter-cultural genuinely Christian, genuinely Christ-like. Would your friends describe you as gentle? Your classmates, the members of your church, the members of your family? Perhaps you could ask them. Maybe they might say that you're someone who is overbearing. Maybe you're cynical. Maybe you're arrogant. Maybe you're angry. When you interact with people on social media, do you do it with a gentle spirit? Or are you sarcastic? And aggressive. So Christian authority, if it is to be Christ-like, is to be marked by gentleness. That doesn't mean that we're passive and overlook sin. No. Uh, secondly, spiritual authority involves conflict. In fact, it involves warfare. Verse 3, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ 
being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Paul sees himself engaging in spiritual warfare. There is a negative aspect to exercising spiritual uh, authority. Being gentle doesn't mean that he just lets things go. Uh, Paul's opponents are wrong. He's not weak and ineffective. But unlike them, he won't use human fleshly weapons, uh, the weapons of human rhetoric and manipulation that the Corinthians were used to hearing. He won't use worldly tools. The, the, The ends don't justify the means. He uses divine power, the divine word of the gospel. Uh, He's mentioned this in chapter 4, that he won't distort the gospel. He just sets forth the truth plainly. Uh, This gospel might look weak to the super apostles and even to the Corinthians themselves, but it's God's power to destroy as well as to save. Uh, There's a logical progression in the warfare that Paul lays out, but the overall goal is there in verse 4, the destruction of strongholds. The destruction of strongholds. That's the goal. End of verse 4. Destruction of strongholds. But it takes takes place in stages. First is the negative. Verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Uh, The the language is very strong, isn't it? Destroy. Tearing down arguments and opinions which are raised against the knowledge of God. There is a strong negative aspect to Christian authority. Christian leadership involves warfare, and warfare involves destruction. Uh, Warfare is not pleasant. If aggressive outrage is a characteristic of our age, so is the flip side. Uh, A faulty idea amongst Christians that we just need to minimize our differences, that it's unloving to call out false teaching for what it is. That couldn't be further from the truth. Christian leadership involves destruction. And that's why we spend time at college thinking about false teaching. It it can be frustrating and it can seem like a waste of time. Why do we need to study this particular heresy? Why don't we just look at the truth? Why do we need to look at this faulty interpretation of a passage? Let's just get to the right answer. Well, the reason is that part of Christian leadership is opposing false teaching. It's tearing it down. And to destroy error, we need to recognize it and be able to think deeply about it. If you're going into Christian leadership, it's part of the job description. Christian leadership involves destroying strongholds, destroying arguments, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. It's not just about preaching the truth. Simply, it's preaching the truth in a way that it exposes and destroys error. But warfare also has a positive goal. Verse 5, take every thought captive to obey Christ. The goal is submission to Christ as Lord. In other words, this is just another way of Paul saying we preach Christ as Lord. And that shows us that what Paul has in view here are not secondary matters. It's a question of obedience to Christ. In chapter 11, as we said, we we see these super apostles are actually false apostles who teach a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. Uh, They are appealing to popular opinion. That's what makes them attractive to the Corinthians. And so they distort the gospel. These are first-order issues. The the equivalents today would be the uniqueness of Christ, the historicity of the resurrection, the nature of atonement, the nature of uh, marriage. So I heard recently of an an Irish bishop who uh, went on the radio and said that he couldn't wait to officiate at a same-sex wedding. I heard of an English bishop who denies the 
the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And I heard of an Archbishop of Canterbury, not of Sydney, um, who denies the uniqueness of Christ, not the current one, a previous one, who denied the uniqueness of Christ. These are uh, serious issues. And the Corinthians, Corinthians themselves are not innocent bystanders in all of this. The last stage, verse 6, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Uh, embracing, lining up with false teaching is a matter of disobedience. Uh, so the member of your Bible study who doesn't believe that it matters if Jesus rose physically from the dead or who thinks that the good Christian, good, sorry, the good non-Christian will get into heaven, they're being disobedient. Uh, the language of punishment here in this verse probably, though, refers to the false apostles uh, who were affecting the Corinthians. Once Paul had the Corinthians back online, uh, he would punish these false apostles by casting them out of the fellowship. Thirdly, and very briefly, uh, construction or building up. Spiritual authority involves building people up. And uh, uh, Lord willing, we'll look at these verses a little bit more next week, but verse 8 uh, even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. He builds them up. He doesn't destroy them. He destroys the arguments of the false teachers, but he builds them up. Warfare is necessary to protect God's people with the goal of building them up. Uh, this is the goal of Christian leadership. And so although Paul destroys arguments... He doesn't destroy God's people. He builds them up. And so spiritual leadership means being gentle with people, uh, even our opponents, but being strongly aggressive against arguments. Paul is gentle with people, aggressive with arguments. It's warfare so that God's people are built up. I imagine that some of us are more inclined to warfare uh, we have named our canes and we're ready to use them. Uh, some of us are more inclined to be gentle, to let things go, to not make a fuss, to let the paper planes fly around our church. Uh, neither extreme is right. Christian authority is shaped on Christ, and so it's gentle. But Christian authority is shaped on Christ, and so it involves warfare. And Christian authority is all for the aim of building God's people up. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul uh, who used the authority given by the Lord Jesus to build your people up. And uh, we do pray that uh, in the areas where you have entrusted us to serve your people, that we would follow uh, the model of the Apostle Paul as he follows the model of the Lord Jesus. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.